of business Driving late at night Psycho 78 12 o'clock Don't be late I said all this horror business My mirrors are black for you You don't go in the bathroom with me Greetings and salutations. This is Justin Moore, and you're listening to another episode of Horror Business. Why do you talk? Here's the thing. When we do a sound check, you yell into the microphone. And then as soon as we start recording, you're like soft. That's the point. With your sex voice. Well, it just affects that. Now I got to turn your mic up. Okay. Hey, Liam, that was your introduction to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking complaining. Oh, man. Just so you guys know, uh, this past weekend at Monster Mania, I totally chickened out on asking Tony Todd to do the introduction for this episode. Or anything. If yeah. you got him to say, you're, this is Tony Todd and you're listening to Horror Business, we would use that every, every time. fucking episode. And the real, the, the real, as I was like driving back into Philadelphia, the tragedy of it was I realized we have an in at Monster Mania. There's a dude who listens to this podcast who works at Monster Mania. Who? Jeff Tibault. The ball, I think, is I can't pronounce his last oh, name. Oh, he works at Monster Mania. Yeah, yeah. I know Jeff pretty well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was just like, I wonder if I would have been like, Hey, Jeff, could you introduce? Hey, Jeff, me? if you're listening to this, we need you to work your beardy magic <laughs> and get us some cool people to do little like. Uh, I think there's an official radio name for that where they do like a. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's not a station ID because we're not a station, but uh, yeah, yeah, just yeah. having someone say like, you know, and you're listening to the horror business podcast, like Doug Bradley. Or... I mean, I would never do it for Cinepunks because you know we're actually legitimate, and yeah, 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 respectable, yeah. But horror business, this is genre. A, this it's is genre. This no is a real that. fanboy jerk off. So yeah. for us, it'd be. I mean, I would. I would get a boner. Yeah. yeah. Which I would then touch. I mean, what what else would you do with it? You don't not touch a boner. Sometimes I hurt it. That's weird. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> hey, so uh, uh, today is a significant day in horror. It is a, a very. It is not only the birthday of one of the great Davids of genre filmmaking, as David Cronenberg, my favorite Canadian. Wait, who? No, yeah, my favorite Canadian, David Cronenberg, totally Dave, uh, favorite Canadian. He's seventy three today, which is insane because I don't think of him, think of him as like seventy three. Uh, I don't think of him as aging. He's just timeless. But he does age, though, because if you see young pictures of Cronenberg, you're like, oh, he was hot. He was. He was a good looking guy. He was a good looking gentleman. Some people like serial killer Cronenberg from Nightbreed. Like, I've heard people be like, oh, that's my horror crush. Dude. No, by that age, I don't trust that guy with my children. That him in Nightbreed is the scariest thing about Nightbreed. I like his mask. His mask, when he's walking up the stairs, was that little kid? Yeah. I'm going to go home tonight, and when I go to bed, if I wake up tonight to go to the bathroom, I'm running past the stairwell, because I don't want to be like, oh, here comes David Cronenberg to cut me up. <laughs> like, <laughs> But uh, it's also, so it, on the off chance, if he hears this, happy birthday, David Cronenberg. If you ever hear this, get at me. I'll buy you a slice of cake. From the cake store. Enough, you can wish him a happy birthday, even though he's never going to hear this. This is true. So happy birthday, David Cronenberg. Thank you for the brood and the fly and all your other movies. All the other, you know, whatever other ones you did. Because, you know, he did the... Like Video drone. That was like the brood and the fly and then uh, f- several other movies that he did. I fucking hate you. <laughs> yeah. Like Naked Lunch. 
Don't judge Naked Lunch. It's all right. No, no, it's 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 it's, it's it, it exists. It, it's there. <laughs> hey, what other awkward gentleman's uh, birthday oh. is it today? Uh, not his birthday. His oh. death day. Oh, his death day. I didn't realize. Seventy. I'm not a racist, so I don't know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like seventy nine years ago today, or something. I don't know. Howard Phillips Lovecraft shed this mortal coil and transcended time and space to go to Yuggeth with the Puff Shoggoths, wherever that is. I only I only could play this game, but I would, in the sense that I would start quoting things from Hellboy. I wouldn't know them from the actual Lovecraft. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing. You don't want to quote Lovecraft because... <laughs> you know? liberal use of the n-bomb yeah no like i said today I, I i posted something on facebook about it and it was like a picture of something weird and then it was like a quote from from lovecraft that was like those who dance alone are the ones that dance the best and i was like oh, i'm glad they chose that quote from lovecraft and not i don't know mm. yeah <laughs> like yeah, yeah. that yeah um the thing about lovecraft though this is what bums me out is that it's hard to just be a, it's hard to be someone who's like I think a lot of what he wrote was important. I also think he was a racist, and that's a struggle. Because I feel like if you just put Lovecraft out into the world, there's immediately people who are like, oh, like they're all ramped up. And not that they don't have a reason to be ramped up. I don't think we should be totally tolerant of racism, but the fact that he was a racist doesn't mean his books necessarily were bad. Not at all. But then from the other direction, if you were, if you then say, hey, I just want you to know, I, you know, H.P. Lovecraft important writer but lest we forget he yeah. was racist then there's some other guy from the other direction being like oh god you're so pc oh two people are too sent there was there was a guy it was back when the world fantasy awards they announced that they were because traditionally their award was a bust of hp lovecraft which is fucked up yeah i and as a lifelong hp lovecraft fan i totally agree that yeah. like i get that people wanted that removed i understand that and this the, i some met some group on facebook i belong to some dude was for literally weeks after this was announced every day was like posting about like how people were too sensitive and finally it was just like dude lovecraft's legacy is secure you don't yeah. need to defend it like there are people of color who were just like yeah i mean he hated us but i mean his mark on fiction is undeniable you don't need. Did, to, didn't you post it? Were you the one who posted about a the, guy? Uh, the, the interview on NPR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever listened to. Yeah. Because I, I, as as a, as a white guy, I remember when I was like fourteen, after years of being like, oh, Lovecraft, and then I was like, wait a minute, I, that that word shouldn't belong there. He yeah. is using it like that. Oh my God, no! Like, and that was me as a white guy. I can only imagine what a person of color, and this guy was like nine years old when he was like Lovecraft. Yeah, like voraciously read all of his stuff and then he was like 14 or 15 was like oh my god <laughs> like right you know and it, it's like i mean they obviously made reference to the um the, the most obvious one was the uh the cat in the rats within the walls name i'm not gonna say it because yeah. if you know what i'm talking about you know what i'm talking about but then like what, what like there, there's always like the, the defenders of lovecraft they fail to bring up the poem that he wrote right again i won't say the name of it because i i can't myself to fucking say it and I, and you don't have to. But it's basically a poem about that, how where people of color come from. And uh, spoiler, it's not very kind. It's not kindly in the subject. Um. So yeah, that that that's 
Lovecraft is like this weird, convoluted love-hate relationship that I have with him. Like, I think I enjoy the fiction he inspired more, like the stuff I like Robert Block, Frank sure. Dalton Long, sure. Stephen King, like yeah. all that stuff more than I enjoy his actual fiction. But it, it, it's still like, oh, like sometimes I read at the Mountains of Madness and I'm like, oh man, this is really good. Oh, okay, never mind. Eugenics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like. Oh, God. So, yeah, H.P. Lovecraft, wherever you are, fuck you and thanks for the good fiction. Try not to be such an Try asshole. Try not to be, yeah. Wherever it is that you went to, yeah. I hope you're less of an asshole. Yeah, I hope that you learned your fucking lesson. I mean, again, I do think I, I am, I guess because uh, I'm not very sentimental about him, I've read enough to accept that he was a human figure. And so it's like you deal. And it, to be fair, unlike other, you know, famous racists, he did not have as much of a negative impact. I mean, to a large extent, H.P. Lovecraft was a loser. Yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. So, like, when you're picking on him, you are picking a little bit on a loser. Like, yeah. there are plenty of, like, you know, hugely influential and powerful racists we can be bummed out about. Like, for example, Woodrow Wilson. That's a guy who actually <laughs> had an effect on the world. Yeah, yeah I'm, yeah. I'm more concerned about how many schools are named after Woodrow Wilson than I am about some, you know, the some guy who's like, oh, I really like In the Mountains of Madness. It's yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. He You're died, right. He died you penniless know? and he lived with his aunts for the rest of his life. Yeah. Uh, like, and he, and he was conflicted as a human. Like, if you read his letters, he sometimes liked people who he didn't like like he i think therein lie the true tragedy of hp lovecraft that he would write letters where he complained about the fact that there were black people that he liked that he was bummed yeah and i mean that's virulent like you we can condemn that all day but we can also acknowledge dude was a complicated fucked up dude like oh, yeah. he had a lot of shit and the racism is just one element of what was a really weird life yeah, that yeah. produced fiction that is like, you know, it matters. And it really got at something. I mean, to be fair, like, uh, I think there's I do think there's something to Lovecraft more than his use of language and his weird imagery. That feeling that under the surface in what seems to be the normal world, there's something more that is like not okay now i'm sure that that anxiety came from probably some severe mental illness but i also think it gets at a truth that makes us uncomfortable still that like when you think about an hp lovecraft story it can still make you uncomfortable because oh, yeah. it's like yo maybe there is something wrong and not only i think not not to get off on a, a huge tangent on lovecraft but the thing the thing that always like creeped me out the most wasn't the fact that these beings he wrote about were evil per se it was just like you know Oh, we're going to wipe out humanity because we're at war with each other. Well, what about the billions of people? Okay. okay. I, that sucks, but that's okay. Well, we got to wipe them out because we're at war with each other. Like it, it, neg it, it negated humanity, humanity to like a really small place in the universe. And I think, I mean, that's been said billions of times by people who've written about Lovecraft. But for me, that was always the, uh, the senselessness. The, right. the shit happens. Enough. Enough, enough about uh, Lovecraft. Enough ego stroking. A, a dead, a dead, <laughs> a dead racist. racist, probably closeted uh, yeah. dude. Well, uh, uh, not that. That's for another podcast. His his ways with the women. Yeah. Uh, let's get to. You had a couple things you wanted to talk about. You had seen recently. Um, you wanted to make a comment about. I also realized we should talk about the witch briefly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the witch. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. You know. Um. First thing, I, I watched the movie at the gym last night while I was riding a stationary bike. Uh, indigenous. Uh, 
in big bright neon letters, meh. Like it was basically like if anyone saw the descent, it's kind of like the descent, like these teenagers go to like Panama and somehow it takes place in Panama, but at no point does Van Halen's Panama play, which I should have turned the movie off right there as soon as like <laughs> it just, just blasting out of the speakers. Um, the only cool part about it was the creature design was kind of neat. Um, so if you want like a, like a, a B B class creature feature, watch indigenous. That's what I, that's my horror thing that I saw. But aside from, aside from the witch, the one horror related thing I want, I really wanted to talk about that I really liked was I watched the first episode of Damien last night, the new series from the Omen. It sounded like you were conflicted about it though. I am conflicted because the acting was good. I liked the guy that they got to play Damien. Um, I like the fact that there are dogs in it who, who follow orders. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And they tastefully work in how it's connected to the original films. Sure. Um, like all the flashbacks have like a grimacing, you know, Gregory Peck, like, oh, my son's the devil. I have to kill him. That's unfortunate. And it, it's cool. Like, it, it's very like, you know, it's just neat. Like, it looks, it looks and feels like it, it, it has a lot going for it. The thing that I don't like about it is that the plot is basically that Damien, it opens up on his 30th birthday and he's 30. Damien Thorne. Mysterious photographer, heart of gold, and he's in Syria, and during some some battle, he's like photographing like a war, and he's holding this woman while she's dying. She's like, "I know you really are, Damien. It's all for you." Like echoing the many hangers, sure. And then she says something in Aramaic, I believe, and gets shot, and her blood hits him in the face. And then he's like, he's like visibly like freaked out by it. He's like, "I remember, like, I think a, a, a nanny." He remembers the nanny killing her, killing herself. Sure. So then it's revealed that, like, oh, like what she said to him was what John the Baptist said to Jesus when he was baptized on his thirtieth birthday, and the blood, blah, blah, blah. So then he starts to remember all these horrible things. Yeah. And he remembers his true heritage, and he's very conflicted about it. Which would be a fascinating TV series: the Antichrist being conflicted about his heritage. Except they already did it in the Omen too, when he was twelve years old. So. So I mean, it seems as if the continuity then is with the original film. And yeah, not the sequels. But I mean, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't watch the episode last night. I. I it just. It, it just. The thing. I, why I was watching it was that, like, again, this is all cool and all, but it was just like if they are adhering to the original film films. I don't know if they're going to include the second and third one. It's just if they do include the second and third one, it's just weird that he would have the same conflict when he was twelve years old, try to reject his heritage, accept his her- accept his heritage, forget again, and then. The Omen, the third Omen film, he's 32 years old. So he's 30 now. So in two years, is he just going to become like an angry Sam Neill ranting at a statue in a church? No, like, I, I just think I, I'm i of the opinion, having not watched the show, that they're only basing it off the first movie. No, just need I just realized they are, they are referencing the third movie because they have the daggers in Megiddo from the third film. They're in that. The oh. daggers... But no, those not- were in the first. Those were in the first one too. What the fuck am I talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm no, no. Rambling. I think you just need to go off the first. First of all, <laughs> the fact that you're worried about the world building in the Damien show. Okay, <laughs> I like the Omen movies a lot. I we've talked. We, this came up on another podcast, and I had said that um, I've never even seen the third one. I don't third think it's so good. Actually, maybe I have. It's so good. I don't. The point. I need to rewatch it. Let's yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, but the fact that. I'm just surprised that you care about them so much that you're very concerned about that. I mean, it, it, it won't be the end of the world for me. Yeah. It, it was just one of the things that I was watching, and that's what stuck out to me. Sure. Was I think it has potential to be a great show. Yeah. Unlike, I mean, Lucifer's okay, 
but I, I think they're doing the whole like the Lucifer thing bums me out because it's so far from the comic and it's a waste of that. Like the problem with the Lucifer show isn't the actor that dude. They really found the most charming British guy. Yeah. To yeah. Be Lucifer. He is doing what he's meant to do in the writing. The fact that they're only this far in the show and they're already like, maybe he's human. Maybe he's just a good guy after all. And I'm like, are we trying to justify, like, we're actually trying to redeem the devil. Yeah, yeah. After just, like, four episodes. Like, let him be at least the devil for a season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, maybe hints that things are changing. I mean, even Dexter had a fucking season where he was yeah. a totally bad dude. Like. Yeah. It's just odd that that's already the direction they're going. I kind of like the angle, and I haven't, I'm not totally caught up with Lucifer, but I kind of like the angle they've started to go in and what I've seen of he's excited by this thing like i like the idea of wow i don't know what's gonna happen and that's so cool yeah 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 but technically uh no one actually claimed that lucifer was like omniscient in any way like technically lucifer has no idea what's gonna happen i get that now he's in personal danger and that's exciting and that part's kind of interesting but i don't think it's an i don't think that new element is enough to carry the show no because without that the show then is just a detective and their supernatural helper you know, like that's all which he has is. been done so many fucking so times, many goddamn times. But the, the the whole point of it is, I, I think the idea of you have a classically evil figure feeling this sense of conflict, internal conflict about, do I want to keep being evil or do I like, like I do like, I I do like the idea of the fucking antichrist being like, is this what I want to do? Sure, I think that's great. But again, it's, I mean, if that's going to be the whole thing of the show, they already did that, and they already did it perfectly in the Omen too. A, I don't know how many fans of horror agree with you that The Omen 2 is None. Perfect. Any fan of horror, any real fan of horror, any true Scotsman would agree with me on that. <laughs> Second of all, um, there's lots of, I mean, they've done, they've redone lots of things. I think this is just part of the trend of like, let's go back to every old property. I can't wait for the Thing TV show. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, there's always going to be that. So uh, I, for me, I, I think... My internal, and we've talked about this before, the remake phenomena, in, when it first started, it rubbed me the wrong way. Then I started to just accept it. Yeah, yeah. And now I think I'm at the point where I'm going to take every one of them sort of at face value. But I do think you have a point. I mean, I don't know if your point really applies to the Omen films because I don't love them the way that you do. Though, like I said, I haven't seen the third one. Yeah. Uh, but I do think the point um, applies to other properties, which is that... If you're going to remake things, I don't like the idea that like the only things we're going to remake are things that were already successful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what it assumes is that um, all those movies that were near misses, that there's no fan base for those. Like the only movies that will make it are the movies that were already great. We'll just yeah. remake those. I, that's not for me what a remake is for. Let's get a movie that died on the table. That was a good idea. But you just couldn't make it. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is a terrible example, but I. But it's a great example that illustrates my point. It's a terrible example because I don't think they should remake it because no one will see it. That would be Howard the Duck. Howard the Duck, more than any other movie I can think of, is a film that failed because they kept trying things and it didn't work out. So Howard the Duck was the first movie where George Lucas was going to do CGI. That was his first movie. He's like, the duck, CGI, the whole thing, CGI. And it fucking, they couldn't do it. They couldn't yeah. make it work. Then, oh, the duck is going to be this. It's going to be this. And and that went for the whole film. 
every aspect of that movie is just uh, a conflict between the vision of the creators and the willingness of the studio to pay for it and what they wanted. And, you know, and so, you know, some people love it. Some people hate it. I still kind of love it. But I it's totally, a, I totally love our thing. Yeah. Talk. But it's a movie that like, again, I don't think they should remake it because I don't think there really is like that big an audience for no, it. No, no. But it fits the bill of, Oh, with a lot more money and a lot better technology, that movie could be better. Yeah, especially in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, so that, I think there are a number of films like that that didn't get there. They're not terrible movies. Like, I'm not saying go find the shittiest fucking movie that everybody hated, remake that. Yeah. You know, uh, but like Ishtar. But, uh, you know, the, the, there, there has to be those near misses, those movies that just couldn't quite get there, that now, if you've got money and you've got technology... Go for that movie. Instead, they always want to remake the movie that most people think is perfect as it is. They're like, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. That'd yeah. be great. What? There's an Exorcist TV show, which... Is there really an Exorcist TV they're show? They're talking about it. I only, I, I only support it because I hate fanboys, and that will... Yeah. Hey, let's talk about The, the witch. witch. Justin, what did you think of the witch? Um, well, you were there, so you saw my reaction to it. Yeah. I, I spent most of the I spent most of the movie on the verge of an anxiety attack because I thought I was going to witness some horrendous shit any fucking second. And he's at, at any like, moment. I, I I don't know if it was Stephen King who said this, but it was in a Stephen King in his memoirs that I first read it. He described he compared horror and terror. He said terror was being in a dark room with a corpse horror was bumping into that corpse this movie relied heavily upon the feeling of terror nothing really happens in the movie like nothing jumps out but like when i think back up i spent most of that movie like but i feel like, like the beginning of the movie really sets the tone when the baby disappears that was so the baby creepy. disappears it's done in such a way that you're like and it's a little bit ruined by the trailer but not too bad because the baby disappears and you're like oh and then within a few seconds you're like man i wonder I wonder what's gonna happen to that baby oh and now we know oh and now <laughs> we know squished up and rubbed all over yeah, a broom which so could flying. fly that beginning i think sets the tone which is like creepy and intense and brutal oh and like God. this is a movie i don't think we want to like i i feel like most people have seen it let's are we gonna say spoilers for this or not i don't know i mean i, I this is one of those let's, movies that like I, I think because the episode is not about the movie i don't want to spoil it so we won't yeah. spoil it but i will say that i think there's a way to watch the movie that um it's unclear exactly what happens in the sense that um, not that there's not a witch, like you see a witch. Yeah, there totally is a witch, yeah. But um the introduction of the fungus on the corn. Yeah. And the fact that the family is crazy. I mean, he's not it's not a story of it's a it's not a story of, well, these people are just trying to get by and they're like normal people and none of this is in any way their fault and whatever. He it seems to me like the director is pretty clearly like are these settlers pilgrims whatever you want to think of them as any crazier than these supposed witches in the, in um, the woods yeah they're about equal actually and I, I, I would say these are two groups of crazy people that was and that was one of the things that i, I was i was talking about a, a friend with it like the, the particular strain of puritan christianity that's portrayed in this movie is so fucking out there it's almost cultish and pagan like when they're fucking praying 
until they say like, I think they say like Christ Jesus, like once they could be praying to one of the fucking outer gods for all I know. That's how it <laughs> feels. Am I wrong though? Am I wrong? No, like, and that's even, like, even within the context of the film, the it's not because I knew there was going to be this moment where the family is like, is she a witch or whatever? I expected a hard turn. The dad actually tries to be compassionate by his fucked up crazy understanding of what that it's not he's yeah not, it's not like one of those movies like i don't know if you've ever seen um oh what is that movie called uh well any number of those films that are like the films where people are just tortured because they think they're a witch yeah like the crucible or something like that uh not even the crucible i was thinking like the more exploitation-y it's just long yeah uh, yeah yeah simulated torture scenes yeah i don't know why the name of it i have i literally have a review copy of it upstairs on blu-ray and i don't remember the name of the movie but there's a there's a few of these movies where people are just fucking so that's what i was expecting is like a movie in which uh or a plot in which the family is getting some sort of sick pleasure out of thinking that she might be a witch and doing awful things like that's what i I was like this yeah yeah to go that was part of my terror was not what was going to happen to the family what the family was going to do to this girl because they think she's a witch that's part of the anxiety and i think that's not just just me that's what the movie but what's interesting is that the family manages to be horrible horrifying absolutely and relatable like he's like look you know i you know i don't i don't want to do this you know but if you are a witch you should just say it and so we can do something compassionate like just kill you you know like <laughs> we're not gonna stone you to death or hold you underwater we'll take yeah, you we'll out back and it. shoot you like yeah well i don't think at first he even says death but like it's clear that his compassionate option is not going to be pleasant whatever it is she's not living if she's a witch like, yeah it's something bad but but even the way he presents it is not in that way that you see presented which is like oh here's a great example uh the devils in the movie the devils the people who are trying to uh who's in the devils oh man (laughs) oh man doesn't matter the point about it is in the devils um uh the point about the devils is that uh the people who are are sort of persecuting these nuns, you know, in, in some sense, and the nuns are fucked up too. I mean, the, it's a lot going on in the devil. Yeah, yeah. The, but the point is, is that they're getting joy. That in some sense, the people who are looking for witches, who are hurting people, there's joy. The family in this film is not getting joy. That's not what the movie's about. It's not about a, this family's like, oh man, I really hope this girl's a fucking witch, so, yeah, we, can, so we can fucking yeah, yeah get like, some shit. Because that's, I think, the suspicion in a lot of those films is like, this is all about sexual repression anyway, so. <laughs> yeah this movie's not like that but that makes it more terrifying the fact that the dad's like i'm going to be compassionate and nice now let me hold you clearly let us know that if you're a witch yeah you can just do something nice to you like just like kill like you like pleasantly. bury you yeah. under rock like yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so and all, all that to say and again uh I, we won't talk about how it wraps up but i really liked it it really got under my skin i want to see it again like i would oh, yeah. literally go see it again immediately and uh i just think it was an amazing film so, all that being said, um, how do you feel about the response to the witch? Uh, one of the one of the things that really annoyed me, and again, I know like there are probably people listening to this who are gonna be like, "Oh, that was me." He's talking about. I I don't mean to belittle anyone's opinion, but one of the biggest things that people were saying was like, "Would well, nothing happened? No, nothing happened. You don't see anything," and it's just like, "No, but you're missing the point." Like it's called building atmosphere and creating dread. It, it it it's, I mean, like I said, 
I spent the majority of this movie hiding, like getting ready to hide my eyes in case, like, because any second you keep expecting nothing to jump out, but just you're like, you, what are you going to be shown? It's like, like a, like a fucked up Arthur Macon short story. Like just this family in the woods and like horror just lurks right around the corner and you keep turning corners and you're like, okay, the next one, the next one. And it's just like the anxiety builds. And it's like, I don't think, pe I, I think people are so used to, I'm not going to say like the whole jump out scare, scare phenomena has created like people with short attention spans. But I mean, I've heard other movies that are similar to the witch criticized for the same thing. Like the honeymoon, no, nothing fucking happened. You don't see anything. Like, yes, but were you not scared? Well, yeah, but nothing happened. Like, you know, like there doesn't have to be a pay. I think people misunderstand horror as having to have a payoff. Well, and again, I, I'm i really confused with that because when people have that response as well, I mean, let's clarify. I will be less apologetic. I think people who didn't like this movie are stupid. So I'll just put that out there that <laughs> I think you're actually an idiot. But let's clarify, specifically when people are like, nothing happened, nothing scary happened, or nothing occurred. Things fucking occur. So much scary shit happens. Things happen in the movie. Like, you mean, uh, when people say that, what they mean is that there wasn't a physical manifestation of this, or yes. someone didn't attack someone with an axe, or something like that. But, like, there's fucked up imagery. Things do happen. And all the film does is have moments that if you choose to, you can read those moments as literal, like the film is all literal, all these yeah. things literally happen, or maybe this is like, they're kind of crazy, they're hallucinating, you know what I mean? Like, whatever. I personally think the director is not even concerned, like, from what I understand, he based all these events off of, like, witch trials. Like, yeah, yeah, things yeah. that happened in the film are things that it was so thoroughly researched and authentic. happened in those witch trials. So, that's what he portrayed. And maybe that's not uh, as cool for you as, like, uh, a guy sewing a bunch of people's mouths to their asses of other people. Yeah, yeah. You know, or fucking a guy running through the woods with an axe. And we've we've talked about this before. I love slasher movies. I am a fan of the slasher movie. But what I can't understand is allowing one kind of movie, whether it's the slasher film or the uh, torture porn movies or even like monster movies where there's like a physical monster, those don't get to dominate and all other films have to go away now. Yeah, yeah. This is part of horror, that fear and dread and atmosphere. Now, I, I, I take it back. I could see someone saying, well, this is just not my kind of horror. And that's fine. It's okay. Yeah, but I mean, I think this, I think this movie was, I, I would go as far as saying this movie was the archetypical horror film. It did exactly what a horror film was supposed yeah. to do. Yeah. I mean, it was physically revolting at times. Yeah. It was, again, anxiety inducing, yeah. fucking dreadful. Yeah. And again, it was, you are in a room with a corpse right now that you can't see. That was the feeling. Yeah. Like that's, that's a horror film to me. Yeah. I mean, I just, again, I, I feel bad because I, the, I guess what it is is that the reason I have such a virulent response to is because you love living deliciously. Uh, first of all, <laughs> I fucking love living delicious. I do think it's funny that like the first thing if people always focus on deliciously. I'm like, let's be clear. He he starts off with, "Dost thou like, like the, the taste, taste of, of milk, but butter, butter, butter?" And I, and I was like, what's so funny about that is knowing that that probably came from some witch trial or something. I'm like, someone said that. Yeah, so like, like a fucking uh, Puritan to be like. 
the devil tempted me with butter. butter yeah. And someone in, in the audience is like, oh, good Lord, butter. <laughs> yeah, like, it's like, to- like, God damn it. Butter is like a basic like, necessity. Didn't, didn't that shit on everything. Doesn't fucking like Tolkien say like one of the things that like Gollum forgets is the fucking taste of bread. And like yeah. Black Phillip's like, well, we got butter with that bread too, Gollum. If you give me the fucking one ring, like <laughs> it's so weird that the butter. But anyways, all that to say, um, it, what bums me out is how many people you know, went to see it, got on the internet, were like, worst fucking movie I've ever seen. Oh, this is such a piece of shit. Oh, it's not even a real horror movie. Like, I again, I don't really want to say that uh, people who didn't like this movie are like mouth-breathing mutants who don't know how to tie their own shoes, but some of the responses tempt me to go that direction, to just be like, fuck all of you, you know, because it's it was so negative and not in a well thought out way, making assumptions about what constitutes horror, what constitutes a good movie, things that just I can't sit with. Yeah. Uh. So, I just remember. Did we have any uh, comments, tweets, anything mm. that we needed to respond to that anyone shot at us? I don't believe so. There's been some interaction with people, but it's been like not nothing about specific. No one's brought up like oh you should talk about this on the show okay um we we still want that to be a part of the show uh granted we probably need more listeners for that to happen (laughs) yeah so uh feel free you know our our uh challenge to you is to comment tweet at us send us stuff on facebook you can email us they can email us right we have an email we have an email address i will at the end of this episode i'll I'll run down all the ways to contact us so uh but we also need more people to check it out uh so please repost and all that stuff and uh let people know that you think we don't suck. Uh, so tonight we are discussing two films, mm. and these are two films that you you actually chose both of these movies. I did, yeah. It was uh, the it, it came to me when I was I was driving down to Philadelphia. I, I feel I was driving and thinking about the podcast uh, a few weekends ago, and I was like, oh, we should do a movie. We should do an episode on the subject of addiction because it's a it's it's a subject that like is horrific, but I don't think is handled very well in a lot of horror movies. This is also because you're straight edge. Uh, yeah. Oh well. Yes. I'm. I'm a true believer. I'm a member of the order. I've taken the sacred vow. Wait. Yeah. So are you? You're straight edge too. Yeah. No. I was about to say oh. that part of this. <laughs> the 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 subtext of this is that we will straight edge revenge anyone. We're better than you. You're gonna get caught in a downslide. <laughs> Hard edge forever. <laughs> That's definitely not who we are. But I do think that that you're right. Addiction is. I wouldn't say a regular theme, but it is a theme that comes up in horror films. Uh, and you managed to pick two movies. I think deal with it well. I will say. Um, uh, I was thinking about suggesting Habit. Have you seen Habit? I have not. It is a, oh, what is his name? Larry Fessenden. It's a Larry Fessenden film. Oh, okay, okay. It, I think it might be his first, no, I think it's his second film. Okay. Uh, and it's a vampire film, uh, and it's a film kind of about relationships, but really it's a film in which his relationship to this woman, who is, seems like she's probably a vampire, like it affects him like an addict like the movie really ends up being about addiction okay at first you think it's just about a crazy relationship but as it goes forward it's like no she's a drug to him yeah and he like needs it you know i want to watch that now it's good it's good i you can you can borrow the collection oh wait right it's on oh fuck i I, does it play on my a track player because that's how i watch movies on a track i thought you just shone a light behind (laughs) the film and, and i watched oh <laughs> with fire of course because yeah, yeah, yeah electricity at your yeah. house uh but so uh what's the first movie we'll be so the films tonight? we picked were um brain damage and, and i've well, there i 
I always mess up the, the director's last name. Uh, is that a Hennen Lauder? Yes, John. Is it John? Is it John? I don't or know. Frank. 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 Hennen Lauder. Yes. Uh, I don't even know if I'm. I, it, we could be wrong. Hennen Lauder. Hennen Lauder. Hennen Lauder. And uh, who you may know from such films as Basket Case. Basket Case Two. <laughs> Basket Case Two. And my personal favorite, Frankenhooker. <laughs> Uh, side note, as a plug, he's actually going to be in Philly soon at the Philadelphia uh, Film Fest. He's presenting his new documentary, which is about Banksy, apparently. It's about the mm. search for Banksy, trying to figure out who Banksy really is. Uh, it seems odd because it's not uh, a monster movie with stuff, but I guess he can, you know, he's an artist. He can he's he's a whatever, renaissance man. He can do whatever he wants. Uh, he's going to be at the screening. So check out Philadelphia uh, Film Fest. Uh, to find out about that if you're a Frank Hennenlauter fan. Uh, so we're going to take a, a quick break, and then we're going to come back and talk about Brain... Oh, did you want to mention the other movie we're talking about? Oh, yeah. About? We're also going to be talking about uh, Guillermo del Toro's modern classic, Kronos. Guillermo del Toro's first movie. Was it his first his first movie overall, or his first major uh, movie? It's his... Yeah, he did a short film before that. Okay, yeah. But yeah, because in this, we watched a little bit of the special features, and he talked about how Kronos is special to him because it's his first movie, so okay, it's like yeah. his first love in a way. You oh, know? I love Guillermo del Toro. But he also said it's the one movie, because it's his first movie, that he would always make changes to. Like if he, he was like, if I found a new footage, or if I found sound effects I hadn't used, or if I could go in and digitally clean something up, he's like, if I had my way, I would release like a new edition of that movie every <sighs> couple of years. I love Just him. because... It's the one movie he thinks could be better in some I'm not, not fucking Mimic. I mean, <laughs> come on, Guillermo. Uh, I think Mimic is the kind of movie you just let it go. You just forget it. So. It just happened, and now we move on. Yeah. All right, so uh, we'll take a quick break and come back and talk about brain damage. Mm. It's funny. One night you go to bed, and when you wake up, Everything is different. Now Brian's acting a little peculiar. He's like a completely different person. I don't even know him anymore. Something's gotten into him. Sometimes everything glows with a different kind of light. Deep into him. What are you telling me? That we killed someone last night? Something bad. Something slimy. What are you doing? Something very... I know something's happened to you. Very... How is that? Hungry. I can't keep killing people every time you're hungry. You are mine now, Brian. I own you. Gotta get out of here fast. Go where? You're a wreck, Brian. Leave me alone! Whenever you want to stop hurting, you come to me. It will turn you inside out. All right. All right, we're back. Liam is enjoying a roasted uh, sweet potato. <laughs> We've descended into a Great Depression era America where we're rolling on, gnawing on root vegetables. I do feel like I'm auditioning for the role of, the role of Abe Simpson in like a live Simpsons. <laughs> well, yeah, you just get your onion on your belt and uh, <laughs> give me two bees for a dime. <laughs> Um, sorry, y'all. It's just, it is how it is. Hey, so, happens, man. I was very excited you chose this film. Um, this actually played at the 24 hour horathon this past year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I skipped it and I didn't mean to. And 
I got a lot of flack for it. Like, a lot of people were like, you didn't watch Brain Damage? So good. It wasn't a decision like, oh, I hate that movie. I had never seen it, and I planned to see it. And then, I mean, anyone who's been to Hearthon before should know, this happens. You get in a conversation with someone. You are like, oh, I can miss a little bit of the movie. I can miss a little bit of the movie. And you just get to the point where it's like, oh, I've missed most of this movie. Yeah. I'll just stay out here till it's over and go watch the next movie. It happens. Um, do I regret it now that we've watched it? Yes, I do. Oh, my God. I can only imagine what this movie would look like on the big screen. Oh, man. I'm sure it was awesome. And now, I mean, they like almost never repeat things. I mean, I don't think they ever repeat anything that's played another Harathon. So this, this has to be a movie they're going to play up at a... Um, oh, my God. I can't even think of the name of the driving we go to all the time now. Or at the Mahoning? Yes, yes. I'm sure they will at some point, but that they might not this summer. Oh, man. Anyway, so for those of you who don't know uh justin why don't you tell us a little bit about the plot of the brain <laughs> the damage. plot quote unquote uh <laughs> brain damage is it's it's one of those it gets lumped in a lot of times with like body horror films it's about this dude um brian yeah brian yeah, yeah. Ah, brian how's it going hey brian. <laughs> hey brian you don't look so good uh this guy brian he wakes up to find out that he has been uh enslaved by this thing it looks like a it's like a slug i guess i guess it's been living with his neighbors and yeah, the neighbors his, lose his, control of it. his neighbors have been keeping it like sedated by it, it's it's this it's this talking slug parasite thing that eats human brains and it secretes this super addictive uh hallucinogenic thing it's like a substance so basically what this thing does is it gets people addicted on this stuff and it makes them their slaves um and it makes brian it, it gets him like it gets him hooked so he has to kill people the plot is basically propelled by like this thing gets him addicted and it makes him kill people. it's a very straightforward it's not a fucking criterion film like but but here's the thing about it it doesn't just get him addicted it like becomes a part of his life when he's high he makes decisions that he doesn't understand like he has or no remember of, yeah and so it it, in a way, it thinks for him. I mean, it tells him flat out, you don't have to worry about anything ever again. Like, your life is going to be easy. You just have to listen to me from now on. But it also, like, mocks him. Like, there's <laughs> the relationship is so abusive. It's just it's like, totally oh, what are you going to do, bro? Yeah. Oh, I mean, you it, can do the voice. Do the voice. The voice is like, hey, Brian, if we can uh, go downtown and get some hookers, I'm kind of hungry. <laughs> you don't want to do that? Well, I can wait all day. Like, I mean, it, it, it is like, I mean, it's it, it's one of those movies that's often seen as a metaphor for addiction, but it could very easily be seen as a metaphor for an abusive relationship. Because, like, Elm, the things that, also the thing that was Elmer. Elmer. His name is Elmer. To be fair, they clarify, he thinks his name is Elmer. They clarify that his name is Elmer. Which or is, do they say its name is Elmer or it is an Elmer? It is an Aylmer, whatever yeah, that is. Yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. thing. But I mean, he—I think he just calls it. Elmer. I don't know if he, I, and I don't know if I don't know if I would call what the neighbor says clarifying because he just fucking rambles on like a goddamn lunatic yeah. about this thing's history, and it sort of ties in with like masks and shamans and shit like that. I mean, so Brian has a lot of balls in the air. First of all, uh, he's got now a parasite that uh, is drugging him, so he doesn't remember what's going on, and then eating random people's brains. Which I guess at some point could lead back to him. It never does. Yeah, somehow. It could. Yeah. Then he's also got a relationship. And he's so busy with the drug slug <laughs> that he's ignoring his girlfriend 
which leads to his brother, who he lives with, banging his girlfriend. Yeah. Not, and it's not even one of those things like, you know, his brother is very clearly from the start looking to hone in on his, uh, his territory. Yeah, I think that's like always under, um, under the thing. But I mean, I, I, again, it's, it's, it's not a very, it, the subject of addiction isn't treated very delicately. It's very heavy handed. Sure. Um, it's also, and I know, I, I know we were trumpeting our straight edge virtues earlier. It's also not a very flattering or, it, it's it's almost like kind of like a like it plays a lot. You know what I realized? The whole movie feels like. Do you remember that scene in Harold and Kumar go to White Castle where they're watching the uh, the PSA and it's those kids smoking pot and the kids like the kid gets the gun out. It's like, what are you doing? He's like, nothing could hurt me. I'm so high. And then he shoots himself. That's all of brain damage. The whole movie of fucking brain damage is like it's like a 1980s PSA and it's amazing. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, here's the thing. I don't actually know what Frank Henenlotter. Let's just accept that's how I'm going to say. Frank, it. I don't know what Frank H's relationship is to addiction. Is this him portraying an experience that he's had? Is this him caricaturing things he's seen happen to his friends? Is this him just getting a weird idea? You know, drugs are kind of like this. And I'm then, more inclined to believe it's more the third. It's just a weird idea. Yeah, I don't. The thing is, the reality is, I have no idea. Uh, I don't think it's a bad metaphor like at a certain level uh especially for certain kinds of drugs i could see this relationship yeah yeah but it does understandably of course miss some of what is actually positive for people about drug use like there's a community there there's a feeling of euphoria like yeah like when brian is high he's high but it's always played for humor. Like you're never, yeah, yeah. it's never like, oh, I get why Brian would put up with a parasite who eats braids. Yeah. It never is clear. Um, and honestly, like I, I don't think, I even don't even know that you could even call it a metaphor. It's more like, uh, it's a jumping off point. It's a way to understand a weird story, but I don't think the movie brings anything new about, there's no insight. No, not at all. It, it's very, uh, I mean, like, and it's weird because we were talking the other day. I think we watched this, we watched this movie the day that Nancy Reagan died, didn't we? Which is appropriate. We didn't plan this. Way. I mean, it wasn't like we we're like, hey, we got a hint, we got a tip that Nancy Reagan's about to die. We better watch this movie today. Um, but I mean, uh, again, the whole movie it, it, it definitely feels like it's a very. I, I, I mean, I keep coming back to it. It's a very 1980s view, popular view of of of, of drug use. But the question I have a little bit, and I'm not trying to say like I know one way or the other, is I don't know how self-aware it is in the sense of like, does he know that? Is it possible that he's well aware that this is like a shitty caricature? That this oh, my is God. Like a- I, I, here's the thing. Out of all like sleazy 80s like film directors, if this was Larry Cohen making this movie, I would be like, oh, no, I could probably see him being it like self-aware. But. I mean, Frank, Frankenhooker, the guy made fucking Frankenhooker. Dude, no, no, fuck you. Frankenhooker no, no, no. is amazing. I'm not. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying like it, it's it's. Frankenhooker has super crack in it. Yeah, but I mean, it's just. Do you, it, I mean, it's not saying much. I don't. I'm. I'm unconvinced by this line of reasoning. No, my line of reasoning. Okay, my line of reasoning. Again, going back to Larry Cohen. Larry Cohen made this stuff, and as goofy as it is, that is a brilliant commentary upon consumer culture. Okay. This doesn't seem to be brilliant at all. This this just seems like I don't know. All the dialogue from uh, Elmer is pretty good. 
you're right. <laughs> you're totally right about that. But it, it's just like when 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 Frank I can't say his last name. When Frank sat down to write this movie, I was it I'm going to tell a tale about the horrors of drug use. I'm going to make No, no, no. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying is is the his portrayal of drug use at all influenced by the Nancy Reagan caricature. So it's like he takes that imagery that was everywhere at that point and and sort of creates this creature based upon it. Yeah. Knowing full well that anyone who with an actual drug problem watching brain damage is not going to be like, hey, that's like my life. Yeah. It was he he right captured it perfectly. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say this, though. For as goofy as this movie is played and like uh, for as silly as addiction is like made to be in this movie, which it, let me be clear, it shouldn't be made into a joke at all. Like, it's not. Sure, it's sure. It's a horrible thing. But like the scene where he's going through the withdrawal where he, like Brian's like, fuck you. I'm not I'm going to sit here. And Elmer's like, OK, let's see. You can wait. Let's see. Let's see. You can go longer. Me without brains or you without me. And then he starts going through withdrawal. That's like. That the film takes such a fucking weird turn into like actually horrifying. Yeah, I mean that's where I, I and again I'm now contradicting the the theory I just put forward, but I do wonder if it isn't influenced by a real experience of addiction, only in that there are parts of the movie that actually feel real. Like not that he doesn't play things for humor. And I would say the same thing about Frankenhooker. Frankenhooker seems like a ridiculous movie, but there are moments that are played seriously that I don't think it's just him not knowing how to set up a tone of a movie like i don't think it's like he is making a funny silly movie but because he doesn't get how movies are supposed to work the withdrawal scene is like intense yeah i feel like you make that withdrawal scene because you've seen fucking withdrawal okay you know i i, you know I definitely I mean? I mean and it, it looked like it, i mean it, it it's it's rough to watch and anyone who's seen the movie knows what we're talking it's the scene where he checks into the shitty hotel he says we're staying here until we're cured and then I mean, that could very easily be seen as a metaphor t- for, you know, I don't mean to get too personal, but I'm going to because this this will help drive on the point. Sure. When I was in therapy, therapy for, for depression, my therapist told me, if you can imagine your depression as a separate entity, that's not you. It's the separate thing that will help you handle it more. And I think that's kind of what this movie is doing. Elmer represents the addiction. Sure. And the addiction is mocking him. The drug, whatever, is mocking him as he's trying to like go cold turkey, and it's just like it's not working. Like, hey, hey, Brian, yeah. hey, you don't look so good. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> and it's so like it's goofy because again, there's a talking fucking slug with a mouthful of teeth who looks like a weird penis yelling at him from the sink. But it, I mean, it's still it's 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 just it's 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 grim. Like it, it you know what? It makes me think of Basket Case. I I think uh, people's response to Basket Case is really telling to me because. People who only see Basket Case as goofy, I think, miss what's going on in Basket Case. Because so I think thing about ba- and I, by that I don't mean to elevate Basket Case to high art. <laughs> it's a shitty horror movie in some ways, but there's an underlying pain to Basket Case. Yeah, because it could definitely be only played for laughs. I mean, it's a weird, deformed creature in a basket. It's literally oh, my brother's in the basket. Like it's like yeah. nothing could be more goofy. And it's not that it's not goofy at like it's played that way at times. But the to me, and I think this is similar with this movie, the humorous elements keep you off guard so that when things get dark, you're like, whoa, what? I mean, like, also the true unexpected. I mean, the true 
I haven't. I, I I honestly haven't seen Basket Case probably since I was like ten years old. Oh man! But I do remember like the one thing that even as even when I was a kid that struck me as being like kind of sad was the main character Dwayne. I believe his name is. I think so. Yeah, D- Dwayne. Dwayne. How isolated he is from the rest of the world because right. of his brother. Right. And it, it's silly. He's got this fucked up brother in a basket. But it's like no, they're. Dwayne wants to be like other people, but he fucking can't because he's carrying around this basket, which like... Yeah, it's it's actually dark. It's emotional. And it's the sort of thing you don't create in a void. I mean, even with Frankenhooker, which is, I think, his most... Well, to be fair, I haven't seen all the Basket Case sequels, so I don't know exactly where he goes after this. But of the originals, Frankenhooker being my favorite, you could easily watch Frankenhooker as goofy and i think it is goofy for the most part but there are things going on in frankenhooker that i think you could also say are like kind of nice or kind of interesting or what's going on there and so um again i don't say that to say because henan lauder was trying to get at a deeper truth yeah that's not the point the point is is like oftentimes when you're making art whether you intend it or not things come across there's something you're expressing so yeah like he's making these goofy movies but there's something there it's not just uh you know it's not soulless like transformers or something it's there's something of himself actually in the movie you know and so that was that was was good that was good i you know literally this is a movie that has so many things that can be made fun of i mean but he just from like the brother's t-shirt alone i'm like what the fuck is going on what t-shirt was it you remember that sleeveless shirt he had on what the fuck was that shirt I remember. remember I remember we were counting the the different. There was like a Slayer poster, like a Bauhaus poster, sure, a, sure, a sure. Susie Sue poster. What was? I didn't catch the brother's shirt though. Oh, it, I just meant his weird. He had this like weird tight sleeveless. Oh shirt. yeah, and I was like, I think I had. It was like a white work, and I was like, yeah. I think I have one of those. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like the most ridiculous thing. So there's lots of things to make fun of. Like again, it's not. I'm not saying there's like some hidden deep whatever, but I do think that there's heart. In these Frank movies. definitely puts something of himself into this film. Yeah, 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 yeah. And again, and again. Unlike a lot of a lot of like sort of modern big budget whatever, where you there are people who just make you're just going by the numbers, you know. Yeah, I yeah. guess that's true of small budget too. But in for whatever whether he intended to or not, these movies are like that weird line between goofy and grim. You know, this movie yeah. when I was watching it, I was like, oh, this is funny. Oh, that's not funny. Oh, this is funny. Oh, that's definitely yeah. not funny. You know. I mean, even like the the the, the scene that the scene that I think encap- encap- encapsulates the goofy and grim aspect. English. What's that? I'm just making fun of you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't do the game. The, the, the movie that in, the, the embiggens the spirit of uh, Goofy and Grim. Embiggens! <laughs> ah! Ah! Is the shower scene after, like, he caves, Brian caves in to his sure. his weakness. Sure. And uh, Elmer says, okay, well, before you get the drugs, we're going to go kill someone. And he goes downstairs to the, to the shower, to this flop house shower, and there's this fucking bodybuilder like, hey, what's up, man? And it's like... Brian is standing there and he's so because it's the first time he because every other time Elmer killed someone Brian was just fucking stoned out of his mind stoned out of his gore and he's about to witness this sober like he's about to see like this dude's gonna fucking kill someone and eat their brain in front of me and he's obviously tore up I mean like obviously just like fucked up about it and it's it it's really difficult to watch I mean and then he eats a guy's brain the dude's reading dead dead world i think is the the comic he's reading which yeah. is awesome yeah um but no i mean it, it, it definitely it, it's a movie that it's not like uneven in tone but it definitely it, it uh it, it's it, it does a great job of going from like ah oh, silly elmer's talking it's john john zachary if anyone knows that's the name of the guy that i was, that sure. I was thinking of 
Um, and then it goes into, oh, this guy's chained to a fucking radiator throwing up while this thing's laughing at him. Like, you know. Yeah. I mean, again, I think, um, you know, it's not a particularly scary movie. You know, like, I don't think there's a lot of moments of tension per se. No. But there, uh, but there is elements of the movie that are gross. I mean, Elmer's this is, mouth. Yeah. I like, mean, I do think there are parts. I mean, this is goes back a little bit when we were talking about the witch in the sense of like this question of what is horror. It's interesting to me that a movie like this, like a lot of people would just unquestionably assume it's horror. Um, I think just because it's gross. Yeah. You know yeah. Yeah. I mean? But for me, it's horror in that, um, generally speaking, horror creates a space for us to tell stories that are unpleasant. Yeah. And that unpleasantness might be, be due to fear or not i mean i guess there's an element of fear in the sense of is he how's he going to deal with elmer how's you know there's oh i guess we're getting into so we can just say spoilers there's a moment where he kills his girlfriend and it's a yeah yeah it's a horrible it's, moment it's, it's not terrible. frightening but it's like oh fuck you because know? she's like i want to help you i i don't yeah. she thinks he has a drug she thinks yeah. she's seeing someone else yeah and she's like i forgive you we can work this out and blah 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 blah. and then he's just like yeah we can do that and then elmer makes him kill her by kissing her like and don't get me wrong like her hair was worthy of death the whole movie. <laughs> she deserved it she like, had the worst hair this I'm whole what was going on with her hair like i i really half was, a wig like i really couldn't tell if she was wearing a wig or if she just had like some sort of like issue with the formation of her skull or something, but it just looked, it looked like yeah. off putting the whole time. It doesn't change the fact that the moment where she dies is actually emotionally. It's affecting. heartbreaking. Especially yeah, yeah, yeah. his brother lives. His, his shitty brother. Actually, you know what? That is the perfect, I think, moment in this movie is the subway moment. The movie goes from a goofy, corny, doesn't need to be in the movie reference to basket case. He sits down in the subway. Yeah, and across from him is a guy who looks like the guy from Basket Case. I think it actually, I think it actually is the guy. It could be, but the, yeah. the point being is that it's a reference to his other movie. Immediately after he had made that movie, it's like a big wink at the audience. Like, yeah, like, hey guys, remember Basket yeah, Case? Get it? And he goes from that moment to direct beeline to him killing the girl. Yeah, it's it is. This is what that. This is what this movie is. Is that sort of pivoting and. Um, I think that pivoting is very effective, but I could see if people were like, oh, it's weird. It's off-putting and yeah. yeah. But I mean, I don't, you know, you don't watch brain damage to not be off-put. Yeah, you yeah. Know? But I, I think another thing and, and tying in with the goofy PSAs from the 80s that is, is, is how the movie, the ending struck me as like, I remember when I was in Dare in like fifth grade and it was like, if you smoke marijuana once within a week, you'll be addicted to crack cocaine and heroin. and You'll be selling your parents gold for crack money. And I was like, okay, well, an adult never lied to me. So I'm not doing pot. This movie ends when he, he overdoses, he tries to kill himself. And instead light comes out of his head. Like that was such like a insane thing to me. I mean, like, I, I guess like, I, I guess I'm not like, well, it would be more realistic if this happened, if he'd grown wings and flown to the moon. I don't know. But like, it, it, that that whole scene where like that's what happens struck me as one of those things where it's like you know like that goofy scene in a uh, Howard and Kumar with the you know nothing could hurt me I'm so high no and he shoots himself like that's what that end of that movie reminded me of is just like this is the horrible thing that'll happen to you when when you're on drugs or it's encouraging people to overdose because I don't know when light comes out of your head that's pretty cool I don't know I think it just was it just was a movie that had to end somehow and since Elmer is not 
in the movie literally drugs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's just like a extreme. You know, we got to end on a big bang, and that yeah. was the big bang sort of end. Also, Elmer's death scene was really <laughs> yeah. long and weird. So, um, I think we would definitely recommend this movie. Absolutely, Ab- this is it's a it was it's if first of all. It has. It doesn't have a lot of this. It's not like Basket Case. Basket Case is the one of the classic gritty New York movies where things are just gross because you're in New York. It's Alphabet City from is. like Taxi Driver. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, people. If you're younger, you may not get this, but people who are older know. Like, there's that moment where it's just like, oh, we're in New York. Yeah, everything is dirty and there, gross and yeah. awful. This has a little bit of that. Well, you can tell they filmed some of this on like a soundstage. Like some of this was not out, out on the streets. I want to know who that band was that was like playing at the club he went to. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I don't know. Because I but, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if it was like nominal punk band. The the, the butt fuckers played in. Uh, <laughs> gotta respect those butt fuckers. It's a band I made up just now for this podcast. <sighs> no, but yeah, I mean, it, it it has like the scenes where he's walking around outside. I mean, you, I think you even said like, okay, now this movie feels like it's in New York. Like we didn't know where where, where we were before. Now we're in New York when he's like walking yeah. through Alphabet City and it's like grimy and shitty. Like, so I say that to say if that's for some people that's a thing. If you're into that, this is. I think it's enough of that that it would be worth it for you. If you're into gross creature effects, like I oh think my god, Elmer really works. Uh, if you're into parts of this movie, actually remind me and. I don't mean this in a negative way because I don't love this movie, but I think if you love a movie like Street Trash, this movie sort of works that yeah. way a little bit. Not a not a lot. And I guess, um, like I said, I definitely prefer Frankenhooker to this movie. But I think if you're a Frankenhooker fan and you haven't seen Brain Damage, I still think it'd be worth. You know, I I don't know if I'm a completist uh, with Head and Lauder. I don't know if I'm going to get Basket Case Three. Yeah, and get on that boat. But I mean, maybe I should. I don't know. This I, would be I, a good point for you to comment. Do you, our listeners, like Basket Case 3? Let us know. Uh, what about Basket Case 2? Is there any love for that? What about... I don't know what he did after this, actually. What he did after Frankenhooker, actually. Uh, I mean, it's not like I have a device connected to the, a wealth of information oh, right next to me. Fuck the internet. Um, I, what, I don't know that any of the performances in the film were particularly... No, they're not. I mean, the movie works. No one takes a shit. But uh, but it's not a movie where you're like, oh, so-and-so. It's like, all these people are forgettable. Not uh, John Zacherly. John Zacherly, the guy who did the voice of true. Elmer. That guy was amazing. The voice of Elmer is perhaps, when it comes to performance, the best part Makes your fucking skin crawl. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh, is that what you're going to do, Brian? Mm-hmm. Hey, Brian. So hey, Brian. Uh, <laughs> like, Oh, it's so like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I we I want to find like that guy. That guy's still alive, and he's still in the Philadelphia area. We should find that guy. Yo, if you know what is his name, John Zacherly. If you know John Zacherly, let him know he should be on the. Horror That's business. the guy that should do our fucking intro. Our business podcast. Yo, what if we had an intro and it literally went from Tony Todd to John Zacherly, <laughs> especially if John Zacherly did the voice. Oh my god! Hey. Like, yeah, this is John Zacherly. You like hard business? Ah, well, you know, listen to it. All right, I gotta go. Let's get some hookers. Back to the sink. And listen to horror business. Oh, that old couple in the beginning, too. That yeah. old couple going through withdrawal. Oh. Yeah. Okay, so uh, <sighs> I think 
we didn't get any insights about addiction from this movie, but we did get insights into Frank Henenlotter a little bit. Yeah. And uh, and certainly some insights into our appreciation for gross phallic puppets, which is that yeah, talking, we appreciate Talking them. horrifying penises with mouths full of, mouthfuls of daggers, you know, laughing, cackling at you from the sink while you struggle with your addiction. <laughs> Up next, we're talking about the classic. The classic. I would call it a classic. I would call it a Guillermo classic. Guillermo del Toro movie, Cronus. Mm. Stick with us. By the one and only Guillermo del Toro. That's a terrible, horrible pronunciation. No, it was awful. Yeah. yeah. Guillermo this, del Toro. This fucking guy, Jer. <laughs> Guillermo. Yeah, Guillermo, whatever del, his name is. Del Taco. Del Taco, yes. Guillermo del Taco. <laughs> um, so, what is your, before we jump into Kronos, what is your famous, favorite Guillermo del Toro movie? Uh, ooh, good question. Um, probably Hellboy. But I, I mean, I, there's there's no Guillermo del Toro movie that I don't love. You know what I mean? It, that, it, I mean, wow, the, even like Mimic. Yeah, I I think Mimic has a certain charm to it. And by huh. certain charm, I mean Charles S. Dutton. Anytime it's Charles S. Dutton fighting a monster, sure. Alien Three, it's amazing. Sure. But I, I, like he he's just like he's one of those directors that's just like I I don't I I can't say the same thing about like fucking John Carpenter, George Romero. I mean, like, Guillermo del Toro is just one of those guys who you're just like, here's a movie, make it, and it's going to be good. Huh. I think you're much more positive on Guillermo del Toro than I am. Really? But, I, yeah, I think I need to spend more time with his filmography. But, 
I mean, I don't love Hellboy 2. No, I mean, I, I, I like... I, I mean, uh, here's here's a confession I have to make. For years, yeah. and I mean most of my life up until yeah. about 10, 10 or so years ago, I didn't like Ron Perlman. I couldn't stand Ron Perlman. I thought Ron Perlman... I, I still think Ron Perlman is the weakest part about Blade 2. Huh. Actually, I take that back. Second weakest part next to Norman fucking Reedus in that movie. He sucks. But I, all of his movies, I'm, I'm just like... I mean, even even Hellboy Two, which wasn't what I expected, it is still just like I. I still think it's a great movie. I mean, we also disagreed on Crimson Peak, which I think you. We did, yeah. I was kind of like, yeah, it's fine. But I then I could rewatch it. Like it's not nothing about Crimson Peak was I like fuck this. I'm never. It was like, and I I I still. I mean, I I still till this day, and I I say this without a trace of hyperbole. When I think about him not making at the Mountains of Madness, my fucking heart breaks into a thousand pieces. I mean that. Can you imagine how good that would have been? Guillermo del Toro making a fucking actual Lovecraft movie would be like mind blowing. I would certainly prefer that to a Pacific Rim sequel, which um, I like Pacific Rim, but I'd rather see. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I'll be honest. If I, when 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 he first announced doing Pacific Rim, I was like, "Fuck that! He's not making it at the Mountains of Madness. I'm not watching this shit." And then only when I realized, oh no, it's to be giant monsters fighting giant robots, directed by Guillermo del Toro, it's just throwing my wallet at the fucking movie theater. <laughs> like, I, I yeah. So, Kronos is uh, his first, I think it's his first feature-length film. Uh, it also has Ron Perlman in it. I guess this began his relationship with Ron yes, Perlman. Yes, his illustrious, beautiful relationship with Mr. Sure. Perlman. Uh, and it is a film, I've heard it described as a vampire film, and that's not exactly accurate. No, I mean, it, it's like, I mean, I, I guess in the sense that it, it touches, I mean, what it has in common. Because w- w- when I think about Kronos... And literally, I only realized this when we watched it the night. When I thought about Kronos, it was always like, oh, it's a vampire movie by Guillermo del Toro. That's not Blade Two or The Strain. But then, like, when you watch the movie, there are no real references to vampirism, except there's the alchemist who lives for 500 sure. years. And then at one point, the one guy, the insane tycoon, makes a vague reference to, oh, you forgot the one vital ingredient. You must drink blood. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it, 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 it's not like, oh, he's also like has that aversion to sunlight. But I mean, it, it's not like I mean, it's definitely turning him into some sort of creature that you would think of as a vampire between the skin, the sunlight, the grotesque attraction to blood where he's literally licking it like, oh, yeah. so it's a kind of I mean, I guess I don't mean to say it's not in any way related to vampires, but I think I went into it again uh, the first time I saw it. Uh, unlike Brain Damage, this is a movie I've actually seen before. But the first time I saw it, I think I went in like, oh, it's a different take on vampires. And I think that actually not that that's wrong but it could give someone the wrong idea i mean it was similar to how um i i when it comes to its portrayal of vampirism i always think about like uh catherine bigelow's near dark how it's like these are vampires but at no point in the movie do we call them vampires no you know what i mean and that's how chronos is like yeah it's a fucking vampire but but it's different in a certain ways like he this change is happening in him because of this device. So let's talk about the plot a little bit. The, okay, so the, the plot is basically like um, there's this antiques dealer, and he it takes place in in Mexico. He's an antiques dealer, and he lives with his, his granddaughter. And one day he gets a visit by Ron Perlman, who's like, oh, like my uncle, blah blah blah. He's looking for this angel, and he has the angel. But when they got the they get the angel like earlier today, and they find inside of this angel this weird golden scarab thing 
Yeah, it's at first it looks like a, just a giant piece of gaudy jewelry. Yeah, yeah, but it's mechanical. And then it like it like it sinks its claws in him and like cuts his hand. And then he's like, oh, it's like a trinket of some sort. But then it turns out that like this device was invented like. Oh, it, uh, the movie opens up actually like it's like it, it's sort of like uh, here's you, what you need to know is like there was this alchemist back in the 15, 1500s who made this thing in his quest for eternal life. And then it flashes forward to the 30s in Ecuador or Brazil, uh, Spain, Spain. Know, there was like an earthquake and they find this guy who's just like white and he's <laughs> by white. I mean, he's literally like marble, not like oh, it's a white guy. <laughs> Rubble, let's just get him out of here. It's a dude who looks like a statue. And they're like, oh, he's 500 years old. It's because this alchemist was prolonging his life with something, and this something turns out that it's this scarab thing that that that, that bites this guy on the hand, and um, it, it's not like he doesn't. I mean, he starts to have like unnatural cravings, sure, but it's not like it's not like in the Lost Boys where like Michael's like, oh, like I getting sick when I try to drink milk, I better attack my brother. Like, no, he can still like uh, he can still function. Yeah, but but it, it's at first it has a. Uh, de-aging effect in, sen- in the sense that he looks younger He's ver- he's he feels more vital vivacious and, yeah. and but also he desires it he needs this thing yeah, he yeah. starts to crave the the uh, device itself and then he gets killed yeah yeah but he doesn't die and that's yeah. when things start to get gross yeah like and and the suggestion as you brought up about the blood is that if he had been consuming blood regularly as apparently he's supposed to there's yeah there's so rob perlman's uncle is this rich uh germ phobic tycoon who's dying and who uh wants to extend his life and he's willing to do whatever it takes to do that and so he has been sending rob perlman out to find this device because he has a book that describes the device and how it works yeah yeah and so that's why he has this knowledge later when the corpse version of the of the uh, antiquities dealer shows up, he knows, well, you weren't drinking blood. If you yeah. didn't drink blood... Pull your skin off. Just watch. Pull your skin off. And there's like fucking pale white skin. Like, oh Sure. So uh, it's a, it seems to be that it's, in in a way, it's messing with what you, you know, what you would call vampire lore and that uh, what's happening to him is related in some sense to bugs. Like there's the suggestion is that the gold scarab has within it a kind of bug. Yeah, because so, they're God's perfect creatures. As so he there says. are elements of what's happening to him. There's like gooey parts. There's parts where there's like goo coming out of him. Yeah, yeah. And so there's a suggestion of conflating vampirism to insects that I think is actually really interesting. Yeah. Um, and even the idea of time itself and the mechanics of the you know there's a lot of shots. Of the internal workings. Well, that that's Del Toro all the way. Is like all, sure. all of his movies have like these giant gear. Like even in like Pacific Rim, where we're supposed to be looking at like futuristic robots. When you go in there, it's like, why are there fucking gears? Like, was this a church? There's you know what I mean? Like everywhere. What? Like, um, but the thing that I, I think makes it most that 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 ties in most with the theme of this episode about addiction is like how, as you said, he becomes addicted to the scarab, and he's like hiding it. Like, there's this scene where they're getting ready for the party, right. and they're like, why are you taking so long? He's like, oh, I'll be right there. And he's like, oh, God. And he's like, go, you know, oh, thank you. Yes. He's like taking this thing off, and his fucking, his nipples right there. And, the, you know, you can't see what I'm doing, but I'm like grabbing where he has the scarab. Like, he's Just, hiding Justin it from his is doing a lot of space work right now, and you're missing he, it. He's, he's hiding it from his family. Like, he's very clearly addicted to this scarab, but he's hiding it from his family. And then he licks blood off a bathroom floor. There's a moment when he's at a party and 
someone, I guess they get a nosebleed. Yeah. So they go to take care of the nosebleed. I'm doing too much coke, I'm assuming. Yeah, obviously. And that's the first moment where he starts to realize he's craving blood. And the craving is so intense, though, he has no moment to like think about it. Like, he's not processing what he's doing. Yeah. He just fucking needs He sees it. the blood, he drops to his knees, and that's it. Yeah. Side note. How disgusting is it when there's blood on the sink at first and he's about to lick the blood off the sink and then some dude just comes out of the bathroom stall and it's just like, let me get that for you and just wipes it with his bare hand. So gross. It's so disgusting. You know, let me just go ahead and say, if you're out in public anywhere and you see some blood, just do yourself a favor and don't fuck with it. Yeah. Don't touch it in any way. Yeah. Even if you're a vampire. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I, I think that like that to me was the very, very clearly... Uh, that was Del Toro. So, and again, the difference between this movie and Brain Damage is why Brain Damage plays up addiction as this like, look at it. Yeah. Like Del Toro is a little more delicate and nuanced in his portrayal. Of well, it. it's a, he's a dignified character. He falls into something unintentionally. Yeah. He doesn't want it to be bad. And in the end, uh, it shows that there's some positives to it. Like people do drugs. To some extent, some people do because it does something for them. It makes them feel good or it helps them get over something or helps them ignore something or helps them, you know, process whatever it is that they're dealing with. I mean, I don't know because I'm a fucking strong person, but <laughs> I'm sorry. That was terrible. But the point is, is that uh, there's something going on there. And in brain damage, that's not entirely clear. You know what I mean? Like, or at least it's not as obvious. In Kronos... I feel bad for him the whole time. I yeah. mean, yes, I don't agree with some of his decisions. I'm like, oh, don't do that. Do this. You know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, like, that's part of the drama and the tension of the story. It's not a movie where you're like, what the fuck? Why does this even matter? Like, you identify with what he's going through. You understand why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah. And it almost feels tragic. Like, for me, I mean, yes, he makes a decision that that's not who he wants to be to some extent. Yeah. But the first time you realize that if he had been drinking blood, things might be a little bit different. It feels kind of tragic. Like, oh man, I wish he had known about that. Even though then you're yeah. like, wait, is he going to start killing people? Like that yeah. doesn't really work. It, it, it's it's like his nobility comes at a cost because, right. and rest assured, he does, I mean, that's the thing about this guy is like, he stays, I mean, like, at no point, like, the moment, I mean, what makes him decide to like, that he can't do it is when he, real, he his like granddaughter's like bleeding. Right. And he's just like, fuck i shit I, i'll be back and then he throws then it, that's when he like you know throws him he attacks ron perlman and throws himself off the uh the thing sure. and it, it's like i mean he stays a noble character to the very end which i think is like i, I think it says that you know i mean drug addiction isn't an, an automatic death sentence unlike right. in brain damage where it's like if you do drugs once it'll destroy your family and your head's gonna explode and light's gonna shine out of it like this is more like yeah, it sucks, but work through it. And in the end, things might work out. Like It also has some very familiar Del Toro elements. Like, Del Toro doesn't like... He very rarely does a straight monster movie. Like, yeah. it's very rarely like, oh, here are the good guys, here's the monster, let's just let it play out. Like, this is a movie where, you know, to an extent, Ron Perlman is, the, is a monster. But again, what's interesting about Ron Perlman is, like, he's clearly a villain... And yet, you kind of get why he does what he does. He, but he's so nihilistic. He's so yeah. just like I don't give a fuck about like yeah. Like it's not like he's helping his uncle out of any sense of like he just wants the money. He just wants the fucking money. Same with his uncle. His uncle makes some terrible decisions. They're both awful people. Yeah. But again, it's like, but 
if we go by, if you want to define monster as the one who isn't human, it's actually the hero of the story. Like that's what's going on. Yeah, He's yeah. Going through this transformation, this metamorphosis. I, I, I do like, I like the reoccurring Del Toro elements. Is I, I do like. Um, I don't know if we made this comparison while we were watching this movie. Like we were talking about how the strain. There's like the flawed. Yeah. Like the sh- like. This did we talk about the fact that there's the that the guy in this movie is Eldritch Palmer from the strain like the rich guy who's like yeah, we fuck you death i'm going to do whatever it takes to like sure. i mean that basically is this character and he's i mean there's a lot of elements of the strain in this yeah yeah i mean and i i think that's so like that guy is so much more monstrous than the antiques dealer who is an actual monster yeah like i mean but then again that uh, that's that's like classic del toro like uh, you look at hellboy the prince of hell is the best guy in the movie sure like yeah, or even like the devil's backbone, like yeah, is, yeah. you know, all those sorts of things. So I think that's a theme there. I think also, um, you know, Del Toro likes expanding genre yeah. a little bit. Um, I think there's speaking of what we were before with Lovecraft. I mean, there's like a little bit of like a, a to me the way the scarab works. There's something like yeah, he talks like uh, it's it sort of it, it definitely has the whole like um. What is the the antique dealer says something? His last words were "sue temporis." Yeah, something like that. Which, I mean, it's all about cheating death and yeah. eternity, which are very. And I mean, it's a known if you've ever if you've ever seen an interview with Del Toro and he's spoken for more than five minutes, I guarantee fucking tea he brings up Lovecraft because that dude eats, sleeps, and breathes Lovecraft even more so than me. Um. So it's like there there are themes of Lovecraft weirdness in this movie, but not it's it's not like not so much as it is in like I mean even like Pacific Rim, like which is very 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 heavily Lovecraft when you yeah. think about it. This was more like you said like a fairy tale, and not in the corny yeah. ass like oh it's a modern like this was like a fairy tale like like a like yep. a tragic like that's what this movie reminded me more of anything else other than like like Del Toro's other stuff like Pan's Labyrinth. People are sure. always like, that's a modern day fairy tale. And it is, but that was on purpose and it's like right fucking there. I was going to say, that feels more like, I, that I, people say that all the time. And I feel like it's more like a modern movie that has, that draws from fairy tale imagery. But the story itself, it's like, yeah, I guess it's like a fairy tale. Fair enough. But, yeah. But like Kronos, like the actual structure of the narrative is very fairy tale. It's like tragic fairy tale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like so, I could I could go home and read the plot of Kronos to my niece tonight and she'd be like, oh, that's that's a Brothers Grimm story. Like yeah, the kind old grandfather yeah. who I actually I wouldn't. I, my niece is six. Why the fuck would I read her Kronos? This is just weird. But yeah, I mean, the, the basic elements the of it. Worst uncle ever. Guilty. I like that you just held a physical position like, well, that's all I can say about that. <laughs> We're recording a podcast. I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to them. To those people. <laughs> but no, it, it, it's... Oh, yeah, I mean, it, it really does... I think it, it sets the stage for what, like... I mean, a lot of times when people say, like, when they talk about, like, what makes a Del Toro film a Del Toro film, the gears... You know the Ron Perlman, the, the 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 fairy tale sense of it. Well, even with the gears, there's the organic. It, there's the, mash the melding of the, of the organic, organic yeah. and the mechanical. Yeah. yeah. Um. I mean, and this this movie definitely sets the stage for it. Um. But. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I mean, unlike unlike a lot of Del Toro's other stuff, is I I do think there is like the the undercurrent of social commentary yeah. on the subject of of addiction. Like, yeah, I think that's a he chose those images because they remind us of addiction, even if. You could say, well, it's, you know, that's not what the movie's about. I think using that imagery matters. It has an impact on the audience. It has an impact on me watching it. I'm like, oh, that's, you know, that's interesting that that's part of what's going on. So yeah, yeah. I do think it's meant to address it in a very direct way. Um, the ending then is interesting in the sense of like, I mean, he doesn't come out of it. He doesn't get away with it. But at the same time, it's it's... I, I do think it's somewhat of a happy ending because it's a redemptive ending. Exactly. Right? There's happy. a resolution. And there's like, redemptive. Yay. He finds peace. Yeah. His family is at peace. It's not like the end of like, I don't know, breaking bad where everyone's like, no, I, I think I had a happy ending. No, it fucking didn't. No, like, that's, uh, I don't even want to get on <laughs> yeah, that. But you know, because you, you, all these you, people want to like him. And do whatever. you see, do you see what I'm saying though? Yeah, totally. it's, it's just because there's some, there's some vague good elements. Like this is an all around, like good triumphs over evil. Yeah. Tough, but correct decisions are made, and in the end, there is redemption. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. And Ron Perlman, you know. Fuck Ron Perlman. I can't wait for Ron Perlman's cameo on the strain. I'm going to, like, throw a chair across him when he just shows up as, like, a pot dealer. It's inevitable, right? It it has to happen. It has to happen. Oh, man. So, uh, yeah, I think, oh, Kronos, I love the timing of it. It's, like... Even the beginning, like it, it almost has like a big Hollywood intro as it gets started. Yeah. It feels like a real, um, it's a lot of people's first films come across maybe tentative, maybe. This was very bold. This yeah, was it's like, very like, this is the story. I yeah. think it really works. Um, I love all the performance. I mean, in, in, a, in a way, it's funny because, uh, it's interesting to watch with brain damage because the performance isn't, Kronos are great. Even oh my the, god! Even the little girl was just scared. She works yeah. so well. Everyone fits in their roles, and that you know that's not to shit on brain damage, but just to say like it's interesting to see how brain damage is in its own way just as entertaining. But Kronos is like a film. Like, There's a reason really that Kronos got a Criterion release and yeah, brain damage exactly. didn't. Like, well, it didn't yet. Not yet. That's a petition. We I'm going to keep behind. emailing them on the yeah. website. Um, but I mean, it's also striking again is, is how, like, I think it speaks to Del Toro's ability as a filmmaker is like how many, like you said, how many filmmakers can you say their first film is this? Like, I mean, and it's that consistent. Like he didn't find his footing. His first movie was like, this is what my style is going to be like. And every single movie has stuck to that by, you know, by, I mean, with some variation of creativity, but it, you know, he really sort of took a step out and you knew what he was about. I mean, even, I mean, say what you will about a movie like Mimic, which, Mm. I mean, even that with the gears and the fucking bugs and like the hidden yeah, things. He does have a thing about cockroaches, huh? He does have a thing about bugs. It's weird. Uh, I mean, bugs are gross. They're disgusting. But they I mean, that's worst. that's that's part of his shtick. I would kill all cockroaches if I could. Did you know that cockroaches make all the chocolate milk in the world? <laughs> Literally, if someone was like, well, the thing about cockroaches is that. Uh, without them, we wouldn't have tacos. That's fine. Tacos are done. I'm done with tacos. Yeah, all of it. Well, we're, we think that without cockroaches, the Earth would just spin off its axis and die in a hundred years. Cool. I'll be dead in twenty. I'm yeah. Fuck children. Yeah. I'm done. Kill them. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, so yeah, Kronos is great. I think it's interesting. 
in our discussion of the witch, we were talking about the nature of horror. I it didn't occur to me till now. We watched two outside the box horror movies. Yes, one it it fits. It's most people would consider brain damage a horror movie, but it doesn't have some of those elements that people come to expect. It certainly delivers on the grossness. It's definitely disturbing and unsettling, but it's right. not like horrific. And then Kronos, uh, just in, I, and this is maybe my opinion. Anything that has a fairy tale element, it has a horror element. That fairy tales and horror are very deeply related. Yes. Like they're, they're it's, it's you know, as a genre connected. And Kronos again supplements that with some. I mean, it's not gore when he's trying to lick blood off the floor, but it's not a moment you would put in a movie that's at least like just a pleasant drama. Like it's yeah. definitely a uh, an intense horrific moment and also they don't really play up much on like scary imagery but as you pointed out towards the end when he's like i mean he's like there's the scene at the end after he drinks blood and he's like he's got the corpse like pallor he's wearing a suit backwards which is just unnerving to look at for whatever reason i don't know if it's and he's got like a cloak on you were just about to dismiss all mexican you're like i don't know if that's some mexican thing (laughs) i was not about to say that or was I? No, I wasn't. I wasn't about to say that. It's because he came out of the ground. He was disordered. It's like fucking Pet Cemetery when the, the you know. No, right, right, right. Um, I'm going to start wearing suits backwards. You totally should. Ah, it's like, there's, what the fuck was I going to, oh yeah, the scene where he's got the pale face and then just blood. Yeah. Look, and it, it, that's fucking startling. It's really creepy. Yeah. Um, But that, other than that, there's no real like terrifying, it's not like. No, it's. I mean, there's dramatic moments towards the end with Ron Perlman, but there, it's not shot like a in a traditional sort of horror. It's scene. not like Fright Night where there's the mouth and the thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, on the other hand, it, I think it fits within the genre. I mean, granted, this is horror business. Clearly, we focus more on horror. I mean, we're gonna watch stuff that's a little outside, but I don't think Kronos is outside. Like, I think no, it's part of. I the think by the virtue of being Del Toro and having his how rooted he is in the horror genre. I think that anything he makes, anything, like, I mean, I even said earlier, like, Pacific Rim. Like, when I first saw that movie, and I was like, oh, there's monsters from another dimension, I'm fucking shocked that the Toro made this movie. There's a horror, like, anything he makes, there's a horror element to. Whether it's as heavy-handed as The Strain, or, you know, kind of on the outskirts as Kronos or Pan's Labyrinth, it's still there. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> what? Do we think that this film gives us any insights into the nature of addiction? Um, I mean, I, I think, if, if anything, it, it kind of... I don't want to say it takes a lighthearted, nor does it glamorize addiction, but I think it goes out of its way to... I think what it does is, like on this hand, it, it says, like on one hand, yes, addiction is a horrifying thing. There are consequences to addiction. On the other hand, I, I think it kind of, I don't want to say empowers an addict, but for lack of a better word, we'll say that. Like, it, it sort of retains, like, the, and I'm going to get kind of dramatic here, but whatever. Uh, I think it sort of highlights the humanity and the redemptionability of an addict. If that makes any sense. Well, redemptionability is not a real fucking word. <laughs> Hence, but otherwise, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> no, I mean, I get what you're saying. I, I, I personally think that uh, the more we talk about it, the more I feel like for both these films, addiction is actually not the point. 
that addiction is a theme used well to tell a story. Yeah. So the addiction imagery in Kronos, it's not that the Kronos is necessarily solely about addiction the way that uh, a movie like Requiem for a Dream is. Yes. But but uh but addiction is an important visual and thematic element that allows you to get into the story more and that then the story ends up being more about the relationship of this grandfather to his granddaughter but also his decisions about who he is and the kind of person he's going to be because he has the opportunity to live forever i mean at some point he could say Fuck it. For a little bit of blood? Sure, on, on his deathbed, not? he could have been like, get me a cat. I'm drinking blood, and I'm going to go find like a homeless person and become eternal. He could have, but he doesn't. Like that's They make it a point to be like, he chooses to die with dignity. I wouldn't be very vegan to give me a cat. But I don't think he's also... He, drink, he, he drinks from Ron Perlman. <laughs> nothing more not vegan than drinking Ron Perlman's blood. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that might be true. But I, I think about out, out of the two movies, if there's any subtext... Out of the two movies, the subtext in either one, like there's no other real subtext in Kronos aside, aside from addiction. Whereas brain damage, you could, I mean, we kind of touched upon it, like it's it could also be about like an abusive relationship. Yeah, or uh, there's sexuality elements, there's elements about uh, feeling isolated in, in ways. So there's there's things going on. I think it's interesting because while Kronos is a better film, I think you're right. There's a lot of things one could see in brain damage under the veneer of the goofiness of it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Kronos is kind of more straightforward in that way. But I don't know. They're both great. I'm glad we watched them. I'm very glad we watched them. Uh, Is there anything coming up we wanted to highlight or hype up or I can't really think of anything. Um, I mean, I'm going to go see 10 Cloverfield Lane without you tomorrow, which sucks. Yeah, I hate you. (laughs) Um. I, I mean, I, I didn't mention how I met some of the people from the Lost Boys on Sunday. That was pretty cool. Oh, that is cool. Yeah. Oh, and Big Ups, didn't you meet uh, one of the guys from Vinegar Syndrome? Yes. Uh, God, I forget his name now. I feel like a jerk. Um, James? Yes, James. Yeah. Met James. Um, I met Tony Todd. That was pretty cool. Yeah. We talked about The Flash and how scary he is as Zoom. That was yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah. I watched him get his picture taken with a couple of kids, and I was like, that's weird. Like, children. Like, actual smiling children. <laughs> like... They're excited to meet Tony Todd. Like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I can't think of anything anything horror related that's coming up. Really. Um, um. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's straight horror. It might just be more like an action movie. But uh, I'm excited about the Green Room as well. Yes. Yes. So, yes, Ten yes. Cloverfield Lane and the Green Room are two sort of vaguely horror related things. And then I'm hoping you remember that. Um, Oh, no, I don't remember what it's called. That at the Philly Film Fest, that Turkish horror movie play, uh, Baskin. Yeah, yes, Baskin I looks like it's going to be insane. Might be getting released at some point. And uh, and I also wanted to ask you: Did you see uh, the trailer? Again, this isn't horror related. We don't need to talk about it on here. No, uh, just w- w- Miss Peregrine's Home for. You didn't watch the trailer. I was thinking about this while I was I was running errands for work today, and sure. I was like, I wonder if Liam's going to ask me about. Because you're just over Tim Burton. Well, it's not that I'm over Tim Burton. It's like, like, okay, Eva Green is in that movie, and I love Eva Green. Sure. I am amazed. I am actually fucking amazed 
Tim Burton didn't cast his wife because that's what he does in every fucking movie. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, that's like, I'm just like, oh, Tim Burton makes a, it's a, um, let me guess, it's going to be a slightly off kilter version of the X-Men with an obsession for 1960s Americana. Well, it's not 19, I don't know if it's 1960s, but that, uh, the point is, is that I think the book is good. So I think that's why I'm interested. Okay. That's, 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 that's but totally. Yeah. I, I think Tim Burton's skepticism is justified. Well, hey, uh, thank you for listening. As always, it was a pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and we hope that you will. Let uh, me let me rattle off how you guys can contact us. I should have had all this ready. Yeah. Well, uh, let me just say, rate, review, subscribe. The only real way for podcasts to get ahead in this world, other than you just giving us money directly, <laughs> is uh, if people subscribe and rate us in iTunes. That's like how you get up in the charts. The tell your friends. Hear about you. Tell your fucking weird coworker who obsesses over The Walking Dead every Monday. Tell him about, oh, yeah, I listen to this. Yeah. podcast you might like tell them I, why am i being gender specific maybe it's a girl I yeah can't, you know maybe just tell them the name of this is horror business the De- of the dead yeah they'll like it uh you can find us on twitter at the harbiz 666 i post about various horror related things uh we have a facebook group you can always check out um those are probably the two best ways to contact us um and yeah like liam said he had a catchy motto i forget what it was <laughs> subscribe to us on 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 itunes Rate us, spread the word. World domination cannot help, cannot happen without you. And like we said before, please uh, comment, shoot us comments, whatever. Like we want responding to you, the audience, to be part of the show. Uh, and that'll we. I, I know it seems like we can read your minds because everything we say is exactly what you were thinking. But in reality, we need you to. We're only human, mostly. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. You need a sign-off phrase.